1: Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Craig Hustons. Craig, what's going on, man?
0: Nothing. How are you?
1: I'm good. I uh, We took uh, two weeks off or so from the PDOcast. I was out in Hawaii enjoying the sun, and now I'm back in Vancouver where it's a lot colder than it was in Hawaii, so uh, I'm trying to... Get reacclimated to all that, but otherwise, uh, it's good. We're we're getting into a, a fun stretch of the season here. You know, you got the trade deadline lead up, then we're gonna have the playoff races and the postseason and all the summer stuff. Like this is this is sort of the calm before the storm.
0: This is it's not even the calm. Like this is it. it I, you know, I, I think I look at the All Star game is basically when the season starts mentally for me. You know, like I have a you know those October November games. It's it's really hard to get really worked up about any of that. And it's funny um, Pittsburgh came through town. I want to say a week or two weeks before the All Star game, and and they weren't playing really well. And there was all this concern. And the Penguins are gonna make the playoffs. I remember talking to Sidney Crosby, and I'm like, I'm like, man, this must be hard. You know, two long runs playing in December and November. I'm like, I don't even know how you guys do it because I can barely watch these games. And he's like, man, it's about to get really fun. Like you could tell. Like he's like, I love you know, he's like from, they had a bye week coming up. And then he's like, from that moment on, he's like, I just love that this time of year, you could, and I, like, mentally, I'm like, watch, we were just chatting, like, it wasn't even an interview. And I'm like, this, he's about to go crazy, isn't he? Like, they're, the Penguins are about to go out a run. And here we are.
1: Well, I've not that it was necessarily a completely unique take, a lot of people shared it in the hockey world. But I feel pretty good about my, uh, you know, let's settle down and not completely freak out about the penguins struggling early on because i feel like they have another gear to hit and it looks like over the past couple weeks it certainly appears that uh they look like they've regained their form from from the past couple years
0: yeah like i would never judge a even the the team that loses in the stanley cup final like those first couple months uh you you know you're i look at them and you know nash on some on some level and even Washington, like these teams that had great years and then had these crushing defeats in the playoffs. I think it's just so hard to get emotionally up for those games earlier in the year. And now, now you can really start judging these teams.
1: Well, the reason why I said the calm before the storm was cause I'm, you know, we're hearing a lot of rumblings and it feels like the, uh, the New York Rangers are especially, and we'll get into them a bit later, are sort of uh, the powder keg for this whole thing where if, if they decide to move a couple of these guys, all hell could break loose. But otherwise like, I don't know, we, we go through this dance every year, right, with the trade deadline where there's a lot of rumors and a lot of rumblings, and then we actually get to the deadline and it's a lot of, you know, rental third-line winger for a fourth-round pick, and it's yeah. it's not necessarily stuff that's going to, you know, generate a ton of buzz or or attract mainstream attention uh from just otherwise casual fans. So it's kind of, I'm hoping this year there are some names in play, especially guys with... um. Salaries still left on the deal in years to come that'll hopefully if those guys get moved things could really get interesting because I know teams are sometimes reticent of giving up a lot for just pure rental pieces based on how we've seen the last few years play out
0: Yeah, I'm hearing that a lot like the, the fact that the Hansel deal didn't work out for Minnesota Jat Kirk that you know, they didn't get out of the second round and and so these and, and this is a weird time of year because When you talk to people and GMs or whoever, you you don't know how much misinformation they're just trying to, you know, if they're a buyer, they're going to downplay how interested they are in a guy because they don't want to drive up the price. And but there there definitely seems to be reticence. I was laughing. I was talking to someone yesterday, though, because I'm like. You know, we, we pump up the deadline and, hey, maybe the Rangers, it's going to be this huge thing. And then we're like, you know what, these are usually trades made at the draft. And then at the draft, when nothing happens, we're like, you know what, these are usually rental deals. You know, we always <laughs> seem to be kicking the can down the road a little bit and when it doesn't work out. yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's going to be something interesting. And, and you know, there's going to be a trade we didn't see coming. And there always seems to be that one that, that is interesting. Even, like, the FNUF deal, like, wasn't, you know, it was it, – it was. I mean, I, I know the Kings had been interested in enough for a while, but it was interesting in that it, that it happened, and I I'm not sure we were ready for it at that moment.
1: Okay, well, we'll talk about the Finau deal, but you did mention there for a second, you know, how you're just talking to someone in the league and, and having these discussions. That's the thing that I was uh, I was most interested by in your recap at the Athletic uh, of that trade. It's that it wasn't just necessarily a pure analysis type of uh, type of article. You actually included comments from I think I believe scouts and assistant coaches mm-hmm. and. I always enjoy that and I feel like you're very plugged in like how how many conversations are you having on a daily basis with guys around the league like it seems like you're always chatting with people and always trading text messages or emails
0: yeah a lot more so this this time of year and it was funny like I'll I just I space him out and I'll you know you don't want to bother the same person on a daily basis so I'm like okay I'm gonna call this guy today and I'm gonna mentally give that guy a few day break and then i'll call it <laughs> and it's and you know and there's even a joke it's like all right like i haven't had talked to somebody since you know some sort of last pressure point in the league and i'll, I'll you, know, you know i'll make a laugh i'm like sorry i'm only bothering you during these really busy times but there's just but i i don't see you know especially at the athletic and then before that at espn insider i i always felt and I feel pressure to write something that has something a little bit different in it than what you could just kind of whip together, right? Mm-hmm. By looking at cap friendly and right. throwing together. You know what I'm saying? So even if it's just a, a quick text after a deal is made to a, a scout or a coach or something, just, you know, I know what I think of Marion Gabrick. But I think readers appreciate – like there was a quote in the Gabrick one from the scouts that was like, yeah, I just saw him. He's terrible. Or he, he was terrible. <laughs>
1: I saw that. And I, yeah.
0: Like I just thought that was funny. Like it was – It was just kind of, you know, I mean, I don't know what that adds to the story, other than it was just a quick hit back and forth in a text exchange. But, uh, you know, I think people find that stuff interesting. Mm.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, do do you feel a certain uh, increased pressure to be on top of stuff around this time of year? Because I imagine, you know. I'm sure you compare yourself and your work to some of your other peers in this field. Like, I, I obviously, I imagine that you want to get the right information, obviously, but you also, there is something to be said about being uh, the, fir- the first person on the spot and breaking a, tr- a big trade or a big uh, revelation. Like, do you do you feel that this time of year or you've been doing it for long enough now that I feel like you're probably kind of, you've got it down to more of a science as opposed to yeah, yourself I- about it?
0: I have I enjoy it so it's it's not a stress it's mm. I, I I like talk I'm like a trade rumor junkie I like the exchange of information and the reason that a lot of these you know a lot of these guys will answer the phone is because after you're asking information to them they want to know you know what are you hearing out there and. And what I, the only, and it's funny, I just had this conversation with Chris Johnson, who I absolutely ripped off your conversation with him last year. Was it last year where you talked to him about kind of the mechanism of reporting Mm that, which I thought was such a good episode. If you, if you're a PDO cast listener and you didn't listen to that, go back through the archives. It was great. And so I'm like, I I just, I called Chris up for the full 16. I'm like, Hey, let's just do that episode. And you and I are going to talk about this and and completely rip off Dimitri. How dare you and, guys? How dare you guys? I think if you say it at the beginning of it, uh, you're you're absolving yourself of any um, stealing of a, of an idea. I yeah, feel I, I feel
1: I feel cheated on. I mean, you you're, you're my two two favorite PDO cast guests, and now you guys are just spinning off and doing your own episodes. I mean, what what's the it's world like, come to?
0: It's like um you know Fraser spinning off of Cheers. Like it's a natural <laughs> evolution of the podcast world. Fair um, enough. All right. Well. Yeah. What, so, <laughs> uh, no just to finish the thought though it's i, I love it and it, i don't feel the pressure and i know chris does because we talked about it and, and i think part of it part of it is the tv side of it like i don't have a trade deadline show where uh, you know you're on tv and you have to break something um I, I like i'm a competitive person and i've got you know the same ego as everybody else and i like to get i, I like to have my hand in a couple of these but i think when you're in that like TSN Sportsnet war, it's a heightened thing that I'm I'm I can just I can just report it and and have a lot of fun and, and try to write interesting things and feel like I'm serving the reader.
1: Right, and I think Chris would also agree with this, and I believe he actually said that on on that show I did with him where you know I th- I think he views himself as more of a quote unquote insider in this industry. Whereas I I I don't know, would you describe yourself as you're more of a sort of an analyst, if anything, or a storyteller? I, I wouldn't necessarily think of you as a pure insider yeah
0: i I'm like um I mean I don't know I, I I like to break things when I can like I think it's par- I, 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 but I also like to tell really long and long form stories and analyze things and overthink things so I'm, I, I feel like I'm some sort of hybrid of something mm. I don't know I'm, how you know what I mean I'm pulling that quote, I like to break things. That's uh, I just like to break things. I just like to break things. <laughs> um, yeah. Well,
1: I guess you know, if you love it and um, if you're really passionate about it, then it's it's not really work. I remember one of my first league events I went to was uh, the draft in Philadelphia a few years ago, and you know, all the media types were hanging around at the bar after after one of the one of the days, and Bob McKenzie was just holding court and he was talking about how um, you know, he has his daily routine during the season where he wakes up and he basically does rundown of all all thirty teams at a time, and he just goes in alphabetical order and he contacts at least one person from each team just to sort of get a feel for what's happening with them and if there's anything he should be aware of or follow th- follow through with with other sources and i was I remember listening to it, and I was obviously kind of amazed by the work ethic, but I was also like, man i I I feel like I would be very stressed if I had to constantly do that on a daily basis. But obviously, he's been doing it for long enough now and doing it so well that I'm sure that you know it's it's just ingrained in him. Like he probably couldn't go a few days. I guess when he goes to the cottage and he's drinking his wine, maybe he can relax a little bit. But I feel like he's uh, he's, a, he's a machine at this point with that.
0: <laughs> well, that's why he's the best. Yeah. I mean, I, like I could never. I would feel like I would be bothering people over and over again if I went. He probably has enough context in every single team that he can you know, if you can go to a different person on it from one day to the next or whatever, or they don't care. It's Bob McKenzie. They're like, yeah, happy to talk. So
1: do you find that sometimes people, um, especially as you've gained exposure and, and, uh, you know, built up sources around the league and gained a bigger following, like sometimes do you feel like people come to you and give you unsolicited information? And if so, does that kind of make you, uh, a bit skeptical of sort of why they're doing so?
0: Hmm. I it doesn't happen often, but when there's breaking news that's that you get, uh, you know, that's I, that's great. That's in that I, I don't I'm not skeptical of it because it's usually people that I've cultivated a really good relationship with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're we're ha- people tend to re- the way it works. People tend to reward you, If you're putting in the work or they want, to, you know what I mean? Like right. some people have their guys and it's like, this guy is a Bob McKenzie guy. And, you know, I can tell you like there's certain trades or certain teams or signings. I You can you know who's going to break it because you just know that there's a relationship there between the main players involved and that's gone back years. So then when you get a when you get tipped off, hey, a, a trade, you know, this is about to go down. It's usually with a source that you've been talking, you know, you you've been working on that trade for six months or whatever and I, there i had one that i was so sick about that i don't know if i told it on this story it was a couple of years ago that i had been working with uh, uh, you know going back and forth on information and sharing information or whatever and then finally they're like hey it's finally happening got it it's happening and my phone was in the other room and i missed it by like five minutes and they like the whole exchange works pretty like they did everything i expect you know they tipped me off i you know and it was like are you there are you there and then whatever and then Drags or somebody broke it and I was like all that you know hmm. thing over this one deal like this is the one I wanted cuz I knew I was lined up to have it and and yeah. that like that the, that's the stuff like I was sick about that for like the rest of that trade deadline cuz it was like okay that would have been a good one. Yeah. All
1: right, well, let's talk about a uh, a not so good one. The uh the trade between the Senators and the Kings. Uh, <laughs> that was a smooth transition. Um so I don't know, like what is it really to say about this year? I feel like people were really excited about it because, you know, Faneuf and Gabrik, I guess both have uh, some name value based on how long they've been in the league and, and a lot of their accomplishments. And we were also all so starved for something to finally happen and if, if finally feel like traded line season's here that, you know, people were talking about it a lot. But when you actually kind of take a step back and look, take a bigger picture view of this trade, um, I don't really think there's a lot of like big like there's a lot of ramifications to it like it's sort of just it's a a bit bit of piece of business for the senators especially i don't think it helps the kings that much so it's not that exciting of a trade but at least i guess it gives us something to talk about
0: right it really like i in part of reporting the trade grades i was like i was kind of like i texted someone i'm like i don't i don't know if i get this trade right off the hop like i and they're like there's you know there's nothing to get like you have to you have to take on a bad contract to move a bad contract and it's like that's all it was i'm like oh you know and and the kings marginally upgraded on defense i guess or you know or or they got a useful player whereas i don't think gabrick is a useful player whereas the other team saved money and like those aren't the exciting kind of trades as a fan you want to see right like hey we're marginally better and we're you know whatever but um it actually – I saw where it made sense for everybody yeah, involved. Yeah. Um,
1: okay. Well, for the what did pers- you, like, Let me ask you something. Yeah. Did
0: you – so I gave it – I'm always – it's funny because I do those grades and it's more just an, an opportunity to analyze it. And, mm-hmm. and I don't like probably put as much thought into the actual grade because people get all mad about it. But I'm like, if you knew how much thought I put into that. And like what, how would you have graded that out?
1: I think I think Eugene Melnik's the only person that won this trade. Um, <laughs> so, I
0: should have given him a separate grade. Yeah.
1: Um I guess Dion Fanof, uh it's pretty cold in Ottawa right now and he gets to go live in LA. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. But the thing is like with Phaneuf, it's really it's sort of difficult to evaluate him because you know, him and Cody C playing together were one of the worst defensive pairings in the league for the past year and change almost two years now and you know, all of their numbers were horrible across the board, and when you separate those two, Funuf's numbers actually looked a bit better, which would give you hope that, you know, maybe it's Cody CC's dragging him down and FNF could actually contribute in a better setting, but then you look a bit closer and most of those minutes away from CeCe were with Eric Carlson, so obviously uh, he's going to do better in those, and I right. believe Carlson's probably driving the bus quite a bit there, so... I. I don't know. I'm, I'm very skeptical that Fifanov has a lot to contribute at this point of his career. He just looks like physically he can't really move around anymore. Um, So especially with that contract, I mean, for the Kings, you know, they made a big huff this summer about getting faster and adapting to the new NHL and having this new look. And it was a great storyline early in the season. And they really come back down to earth a bit here. And I don't see how... Fanof helps them in that regard like <laughs> right. I guess you know they they definitely need help on the blue line and he'll be able to slot it in there but I don't I've seen the argument made that listen Phaneuf was playing big minutes in Ottawa like he can he can still play it it's like well I think that was sort of out of necessity and he wasn't doing well in those minutes so I wouldn't necessarily use that as an argument for how much yeah, he has left are... in the tank it's all <laughs> relevant it's not a
0: bad team or not a great yes like I'm, I'm kind of like I see that a bit with Mike Green in Detroit, where people are like, "Yeah, this is he's a top four defenseman for the Red Wings." I'm like, "Well, yeah, he is."
1: Yeah. So are <laughs> you and I. <laughs> I
0: don't know if we, maybe bottom pair. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's you do you have to make that you have to, you have to project a little bit and say, "Well, they're you know they're acquiring him because they think they're a playoff team." Is he playing in that role or whoever you're acquiring on a playoff team? And then does the price reflect that when you're doing the analysis now in this case the price was a player who you know has nothing left so right I. Uh, it's this is one of those trades where you see the thought process for the kings now it, it's 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 probably fine for them now and then two years or a year from now they're trying to figure out how to get out from under it
1: yeah yeah no that's right and, and for the senators i mean i think as you sort of uh painted it as a as a financial move and that's the only way we can really view this gabrick has nothing left in the tank and you know if he gets bought out after this season um i believe he cost them just north of seven million dollars in in real cash which uh looks a lot better than his actual contract looks on paper right now and i don't know maybe they'll want to keep him around just to to hit the salary cap for but I don't know. Like Nick Shore might be the best asset that was moved in this deal, <laughs> so right. I, don't, I don't. A
0: fourth line player. Yeah. The one thing that you know, what really struck me when I was, you know, going all, over all of that, and it's like, okay, how much is a buyout going to cost? And okay, who who are they going to move next? Is I, I legitimately felt bad for Matt Duchene. Mm. Like I was like, here's a guy that went through, you know, the disaster in Colorado, um, asked out because he wanted to be playing on a contending team. Gets traded to a team that I guess you would have thought is a contending team, like I guess. Mm. Um, and then Colorado is I mean, set up way better than Ottawa. Ottawa's just gonna start selling off pieces. So basically, on some level, when you talk to people, part of it part of the motivation is to recoup some of the the assets lost in the Matt Duchesne trade. Yeah. And I like what's he thinking right now? I, I like I it, and I know Matt and he's a he's a good dude. And I remember I actually asked him, um, you know, how hard it was to see Colorado actually playing better than Ottawa. And he's such a nice guy and he answered the question. But then after, like, after I could tell he wasn't crazy about it. And, you know, I, I just, I, I legit feel bad for Matt.
1: Well, I think it was actually during the, uh, during the all-star game before he got injured. But, uh, Nathan McKinnon had this sit down interview with David Amber. And I, I thought one of the quotes was really, uh, enlightening where he was asked about you know whether he's kept in contact with Matt Duchesne and you know how that relationship is working and it was funny Nathan McKinnon just basically I'm paraphrasing but he said like yeah I've, I've tried to sort of keep my distance because I don't want him to think that I'm kind of rubbing in our success and making it seem like it's <laughs> right. his fault and it was yeah. it was pretty telling yeah it's it's, it's a tough situation I mean Uh, listen it's it's a business and he's a professional and he only has a year left on his deal so after that he will be theoretically able to kind of control his own destiny and figure out where he wants to go and i don't know maybe he gets moved again by then and the senators get to recoup some of those assets so i guess we'll see how that goes but yeah it's obviously uh it's not an ideal situation i don't i don't think it's you or i are saying that it's an indictment against him as a player because i think he obviously has a lot to contribute and it's just kind of a, a raw deal
0: and the hard thing is, like, the reality is they should probably trade them, right? Mm-hmm. If you're like, okay, we're get, you know, we're probably going to lose Eric Carlson. We're we're moving all these players. I think the only thing stopping them would be, um, you're not going to get what you gave gave up for him, most likely. Yeah. So, it would look so bad. It would be such an indictment on the person making the trade that you can't, you you probably can't do the right thing.
1: Yeah, it's really tough to save face, and I I do think a big part of being a a good GM in this league is being able to acknowledge some costs like that and sort of detach yourself from it emotionally and make the best business decision. But obviously, I mean, these are all people, and I imagine it would be really tough to sort of spin that a few months after giving up a bunch of assets to make it happen. All of a sudden, you have you you make another trade with him going out of town, and you have way less to show for it. And it's like, yeah, wow, it those, was those are a good couple months,
0: right? But you know who basically did that, and and he got he's getting and, and probably should be criticized for it. But at least it's an admission: is is Jeff Gordon in in New York with mm-hmm. with Brendan Smith, like yeah. gives up whatever it was to two, a second and a third, and signs him to a, a healthy contract. And like, whatever it is, six months later, they're like, Oh no, that's that's that, that has not worked out at all. And it's it's an, I mean, on some level, you're like, Boy, what a screw up! But it's also like, Hey, at least they're not like compounding the problem by either keeping him around or whatever. Well, I agree.
1: I think it's a bit different because with the Brendan Smith situation, I think it's tougher for. Jeff Gordon, because it's like it's an individual player, right? So this summer, I imagine, uh, when they were figuring out what they were gonna do with Brendan Smith, they evaluated him and what he could contribute and they obviously came to the conclusion that they should give him the contract they did, and then now it's been a couple months and it's like where unless he's injured, like how do they go so horribly wrong with him because I at his age I, I can't imagine that he just randomly fell off the table skills wise whereas right. with with Matt Dushane, it's you know for the senators they could be like well there's a lot of other different circumstances uh the team clearly wasn't as good as we thought they were but there's a bunch of different moving parts and it's not necessarily just a, a one for one so I could see them spinning it more easily like that but yeah when you stack up what they gave up for Matt Dushane versus what they're going to get back for him it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow
0: yeah yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. I, but like, I'm not trying to defend it, but, you know, Brendan Smith is under 30 years old. I don't like what's good for the Rangers down the stretch is mm-hmm. his, you know, his analytics have always been good. Um, you know, Red Wings fans in Detroit have always like thought he was underutilized. And, and he's, you know, the number like that contract wasn't signed and everyone was going, oh, boy, they screwed up. Like it it's it's a weird situation. Like I, I feel like there's a little bit too much of what a huge screw up. How how could you not know this about this player when I didn't hear a soul when they signed him saying, Ooh, that's that's a bad one. And yeah. you know I thought I don't it was know.
1: a reasonable deal. And Brendan Smith's always been one of those guys, uh kind of like a Lars Eller type where there was a lot of pedigree coming in and people thought that he could be a star, and then when guys don't achieve that status, they're sort of viewed unfairly as a disappointment or whatever, and you can't like evaluate him for the player they are right now instead.
0: Right. And right.
1: I, I always thought I mean he was never gonna, you know, rack up the points or anything like that, but I thought he was very good defensively and I was perfectly fine with that deal. So I, I guess it was just a bit jarring to see uh the one eighty they went they went through with him, um and sort of conceding defeat and sending him down to the AHL. So it's Right.
0: I haven't I guess I, I haven't watched the Rangers enough to to know how bad he's been or what mm-hmm. like I didn't realize it's gone that sour for him. Well,
1: yeah, it's kind of weird too, because if they are sort of becoming sellers this year, that means they're kind of acknowledging that this year is done for them. So I don't really see what the benefit is in sending him down to the AHL. Like,
0: I don't know. Where do you yeah. think they, they, like, what, they might have just
1: been thinking that someone might have claimed him no on waivers? Honestly,
0: yeah, maybe. I, it is a bit weird. Like, is he that? You know. I would I would at least be trying to pump up his value at this point mm-hmm. and, and saying hey we'll retain some of the salary and and you get a 29 year old defenseman yeah. who just one year ago cost a second and a third round pick like is it bottomed out that much it is yeah. Yeah, that's
1: interesting it's weird all right well let's let's kind of segue here then uh, with the discussion about the senators to discuss the um, the Pierre Dorian extension that was uh, conveniently. Uh, buried on a Friday last week. And uh, we'll discuss Jim Benning as well, which was more recent. But with the senator situation, I guess just like this trade we were talking about with Faneuf going out of town, it's so tough to evaluate anything going on in Ottawa because of the meddling with ownership and the sort of uh, financial landscape there. Like it's, it's – I don't – does anyone have a good sense of – how good Pierre Dorian is at his job. Like people seem to talk highly about him and they like him. Um, His trades and moves and the roster the senators have now as a result aren't very glowing, but it's, it's tough to know how much of that is him and how much of that is decisions that were made because of other uh, extenuating circumstances. So I just don't really have a good feel for it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't either. I, I was, I guess I wasn't surprised because you're never surprised about GM moves. There's like, there's, there doesn't ever, you know, it's not always logic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see these moves and you're like, I guess, I guess there's a relationship there with the owner or whatever. But I, I mean, I haven't been blown away by anything he's done. I, I think sometimes when you make a, a run in a playoffs, it just throws everything out of whack, right? In terms of, and uh, people, and, and I'm sure the inverse is true, where you have a disappointing thing that's probably not your fault as a GM, you, you pay the price for it. Right. I, I'm sure on some level, because if he's he's reaping the rewards of of last spring, and when ultimately, <laughs> let's talk to someone else about this. They said, "What did Auto, Essentially, Audible went. Well, they were all seven game series, right? Mm-hmm. So they would they would have gone four and three, four and three, three and four. So." What is that? Yeah, add that up. It's eight, nine, 11 and whatever. Seven, eight, nine, t- they went 11 and 10, right? No. No, I think they, didn't they beat the Bruins in six? Was it six? Yeah. Whatever it was, it was like, had they done that, you know, in the, in the course of a regular season, no one's even noticing them. You know, it wasn't like it was, it was a silly, we were just kind of laughing. Like basically the point was, you know, that's how close they were to not, not having that run. And, When you start making decisions like long term decisions based on something that happened in this window of time, and and I'm not saying necessarily that happened with the GM, but I'm sure it contributed to it, um, I think you can maybe make mistakes. And it it comes in the form of acquiring a a player, maybe using young assets on a player because you think you're closer than you are. And maybe that happened with Matt Duchesne. It comes in giving contract extensions to players who are really good and that and that small window but maybe not really good overall and i don't know if they have an example of that um, i love Pajot. i thought Pajot was awesome and he got a, like he's a i don't i don't mind that tra- that that signing mm-hmm. and i think they'll be able to move him but but you see that all the time where teams go on these runs and then a guy gets rewarded over you know where in round 1 if a, if a, a, one more goal is scored you don't have that run and i just think you have to be very careful making long term decisions based on a small window of time I
1: agree. Yeah. Um, just so that people don't yell at you on Twitter. Um, both the, the Senators series against the uh, the Bruins and the Rangers went to six, and then the Penguins. They were seven. six. Yeah. Okay. Why do I, well, I but think they were, they, were both, seven. they were both? They were really dis- yeah, so They were all really close. Yeah. It
0: was all one goal. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I thank agree. You for correcting that, but I mean, yeah. Your point stands. The point was it essentially was it could have gone the other way for Ottawa fairly easily. You know what I mean? Yeah
1: well it's tough yeah they clearly misjudged um how good they were based off of that heading into this de- season with the duchene trade and the thing that i don't like about this roster i mean there's a lot i guess to choose from but the thing i especially don't like is how much they've committed especially in term to uh to depth players and you've you know a thing or two about this covering the uh the red wings up close and personal like that but it's i, I that's one of my biggest pet peeves in hockey when third-pairing guys and third- and fourth-liners get, you know, multi-year deals, and you're just attaching so much risk to it with very little upside. And I don't know, like, a lot of these moves, like, the trading for Alex Burrows and then signing him, and you yeah, know, it yeah. seems like they have – I mean, Nate Thompson's out the door now, but it seems like – I guess they brought in Nick Shore. They have so many of these, like, fourth-line types that are under contract for at least a couple more years, and it's just – it's a bizarre way to do business. I guess it's it's one way to sort of um decrease costs and and keep the salaries low, but it doesn't really set you up well moving forward if things go south like they have this season.
0: So so like what's the move that Pierre Dorian has made that you're really excited about in his tenure?
1: They're honestly isn't one i mean what so he took over after the 2015-16 season
0: yeah i'm looking it up right now so you i'll buy me some time here while, while i'm well, looking at all getting
1: up. a pretty raw deal because last i checked on uh, nhl trade tracker you can sort by moves by gms and he doesn't
0: even oh that's his, what he, i'm looking he, he doesn't, doesn't have his, his own page yet yeah brian murray is the le- that's bizarre it'd be a hilarious troll job if there was a uni- eugene melnick page on there <laughs> um, right and so that's that's the other thing and 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 going, and tying this back to the trade deadline, because I, I, you know, I've been asking a lot, like GMS, are you, based on what happened last year, are you less eager to give up a first-round pick? And they're like, look, I, a lot of times, I bet you GMS don't even want to make a deal, but you have uh, often in those situations the owner gets involved, and the owner sees the potential of a long playoff run and what that means financially, and. And there's there's pressure that comes down from on high to make some of these moves, mm-hmm. and and I, when you're talking about an owner in Ottawa who is an absolute wild card, I think it is really hard to to um, evaluate the general manager without because I can't parse what are Pierre Dorian's moves and what are moves motivated by ownership.
1: I can't either. I mean, I I'm looking at their page right now on Cap Friendly. I really don't like a lot of stuff they've done i mean like the the mike condon story was good last year but so they basically a guy who was on waivers they wound up trading for him and giving up a pick even though it was a late pick and then they signed him this summer to a three-year deal uh, for a backup goalie like i thought i think that's pretty bizarre i mean there's a lot of stuff yeah the burrows one is is inexplicable uh you know trading a top prospect for him and then giving him a, a yeah. Multi-year deal, which has already looks horrible. Um, Craig I mean, Anderson contract's really nice. It's it always has been. Yeah, but he's not. I mean, with him, I mean he's 36 now and he's not playing well. Yeah. And it's no, I know. Curious to see how that works out. But I'm I'm, I'm fascinated to see. Uh, this is a big stretch here for them, and it's even beyond the uh, elephant in the room with Eric Carlson contract situation and whether he'll sign long term or whether, whether he'll get traded because. There's some other big decisions here to make, um, like the Matt Duchesne thing we just talked about. There is an avenue for them to recoup some of those assets here in a trade. Uh, Mike Hoffman should go for a couple of premium assets if they do move him. I'm fascinated to see what they do with a guy like Derek Brassard, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you know this summer they have Mark Stone and Cody Ceci both looking for new deals as restricted free agents, and I love Mark Stone. I think he should get paid a lot. I'm curious to see if whether they're going to be willing to pay him what he's worth. And with Cody CC, I'm, I'm fascinated to see whether they're going to be confident enough to finally pull the plug on this and not commit to him long term just to try to save face and prove that he actually is going to be right. a valuable
0: contributor for them. So there's a bunch so of stuff here. That to me is where the value of a new a, a new voice comes in, mm-hmm. where they can come in fresh. and. The, the, Matt Duchesne isn't their issue, or Cody C. They're not invested. They, they they're not invested in Cody CC. They can make a very analytical decision, and I, I think there's a lot of it. Even if it's not the GM and bringing in an outside voice, and and like I've made this case in Detroit, like I, I desperately think there's a a, a need for a, a fresh voice in, in the front office. And I'm not even saying like run everybody out. Like get somebody in to say, look. You know, here's the perception of what you guys are doing and, and here's the perception the honest evaluation of, of you know of, of your of your players, because I think teams sometimes have a hard time evaluating their own players. They always overvalue their own players, it seems like. Um, all right, so here's I pulled up the page. Pierre Dorian was hired in April of two thousand and sixteen. Okay. Hmm. So his main his first main move main move was the Brassard versus Abinajet trade right how do you feel about that um you
1: know Broussard had a really good year for them last year i like me because been a jed much more as a player moving forward uh some of that was also i believe uh financially motivated based on right. their respective deals yeah. so that's kind of a tough one to evaluate and i think that's going to be a recurring trend here
0: and they got a second round pick too and it, it, like there hasn't been a ton and then it's like you know the Burroughs deal which we didn't like mm-hmm. Stahlberg for a third, um, the, you know Curtis Lazar for a second.
1: Yeah, getting un- getting a second
0: for Lazar was good. Um, yeah, that's but- that was, uh, and then the Matt Duch- you know Brandon Gormley and then Matt Duchesne. So like, yeah. uh, it, it is it, it is a bit unfair. So we're talking about 2016. We're talking two years. Like that's not a that's not a enough time to evaluate a general manager. Yeah, but he he was also there
1: as uh, as Murray's right hand man for. A, a while right sure so i mean but like he, you he, know he, so he,
0: so is brian mcclellan in washington and i think right he's done things completely differently than what how george McVie. yep no i agree
1: things. with that um yeah it's uh it's a tricky situation i guess we'll we'll see how uh how he handles this trade deadline and, and this summer uh there's a bunch of big moves for them to make and i i imagine we'll have a uh, a better sense of how good he is as a gm moving forward after that but it, it was a bizarre sort of uh sequence for them to make. Um let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and we're gonna talk about a bunch of other stuff on the other other things. I know the playoffs are pretty damn exciting, but for my money, we're currently either in or about to enter the best time of the year to be a hockey fan. Uh, the games are picking up an intensity level. It feels like every single point that's up for grabs is worth that much more because of the ramifications of the playoff race. Uh, and with the trade deadline approaching, lineups are going to wind up looking different here. And if you're a fan of a particular team and they're going to make some new moves, you're going to want to be around to see how their new acquisitions look in their, in their new digs. So let's help get you there to see all that action for yourself. Thanks to the fine folks over at SeatGeek you'll be able to get your hands on some tickets more quickly and at a lower price than ever before. What used to be a complicated, confusing, annoying process is no more. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift for someone in your life, is going to help you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. And best of all, my listeners today get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, let's get back to Craig Customs. Alright, the other extension, Craig, was the uh, the Jim Benning one. And I feel much more confident discussing his track record here because he's he was hired after the 2013-14 season and his, uh, his list of moves is much more extensive. Yeah. And listen,
0: the... Argument. <laughs> the argument. Yeah, anytime someone starts with "listen," it's always
1: great. I, I have something to get off my chest here. Craig. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff being said here in the local market in Vancouver about praising Jim Benning, uh, sort of the the prospect pool he's accumulated. How you know he got Brock Besser in the late first round. How you know it's actually Mike Gillis's fault that the roster is where it is now because jim benning took over a sort of a scrap heap and he had to make do and it's going to take time to get out of that hole and listen that's all well and good but we're in year four now and there isn't really any discernible sort of sign that they're on the right track or that there's a legitimate plan like a succession plan in place um besser has been obviously a a revelation and he's been great and i think that's a huge boon for them but you know, beyond that and a bunch of um, Elias Petterson uh YouTube videos, there isn't really much there. Like I'm not the biggest Bo Horvat fan in the world. I think he's fine, but I don't think he's necessarily a, a foundational building block. And the toughest part for me to overlook here is you know, if your argument is Jim Benning took over a team that desperately needed to rebuild and they were aging and they needed to get younger, he, like he's made deals where he's given up 13 draft picks and he's gotten nine back with a conditional one in there i believe so it's like for a guy who was billed as um someone that would come in and help with the drafts and help rebuild his team um with his scouting eye there isn't really much actual meat to that argument or substance when you actually kind of peel back a couple layers so i just it's it's a really tough one for me to reconcile that they believe that this team is on the right track and that he warrants another at least couple of years to be the guy calling the shots.
0: Is there still the notion that they're going to bring in somebody above him?
1: I don't know. There was a lot of uh, Ken Holland buzz for a while. Um, and there's some Stan Bowman talk with uh, – we'll talk about the Blackhawks more in a second here. But, yeah, there, 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 was, some, there was some buzz for that. But, I mean, with this extension, um, I don't know if that necessarily quiets that chatter. But it seems like he's pretty safe with this organization, which – I don't know, what do you what do you think about it as a sort of an outside perspective?
0: Um I mean I, I agree with almost everything you said. I've I've at least warmed up to the not warmed up. I I'm willing to consider the idea of accumulating young talent without tearing it all down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, where where I think they've made mistakes was you know signing louis erickson like that doesn't mesh you know what i mean like uh, because i have this debate so often in detroit with uh, like because ken holland and jim benning have similar approaches and i see what the rangers are doing and i'm like yes uh, you know better to be bad for a couple years than to have uh, you know than to be stuck in mediocrity um but you know though I'm sure Jim Benning and analyzing his approach to the Canucks is like uh, there's also lots and lots of examples of these teams that have tore it down and are just can't get it back up to the level you know to, to a competitive level mm-hmm. so that so maybe maybe there is something to the, the the notion that you don't drop so far down that when some of these young players are actually good you you you're not as far off. You know what I'm saying? And, and I just haven't seen an example of that working. And that's always like my counterpoint. Like I've I, I can point to examples of where teams tore it down, got young talent, and are now cup contenders. I don't know a good example of a team that maintained some competitive, you know, tried to be competitive every year, added young players, and then was a cup contender. That's I, I'm I'm willing to concede it's possible though. I guess where I wasn't maybe a year ago, because just because I've seen the other side with Edmonton now bad again and Buffalo bad again right like that th- these teardown jobs that i i like i applauded to murray i'm like man he's doing he's making these hard decisions and he's doing it the right way and it, like these teams are having a real hard time getting back up and so i'm now willing to concede that there there is another strategy that makes sense especially in a draft lottery where if you tear it so far down and you only have a 30% chance of getting the, the one, like maybe there's not as much value there. Yeah. I just – I don't know. I've, I I agree with that,
1: but it's all sort of – it's all – you're working with probabilities, right? And if you can increase I, I your agree. chances at getting Rasmus Dahl in the summer, you even if it's by a couple percentage points, I think it's probably worth it. Um, and the ironic thing with the Canucks is like they wanted to – do that sort of thing where they rebuild on the fly and never actually bottomed out but I hate to break it to people but they they've basically bottomed out. I mean, they've been like a bottom 2 to 3 team in the league for the past 3 seasons. So, right. they, they it's unintentionally they sort of stumbled into this massive overhaul. The problem is they don't have that many um you know, young high upside assets as they should for a team that has had as little success as they've had the past few years and you know, we we're talking Part
0: of it part of it is bad breaks, right? Like right. I don't know about that. In terms of lottery and ping-pong yeah, balls. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's all, that's all I'm saying there. Like, we're probably looking at the Jim Benning, and I'm not trying to defend him because I, I, I'm i not, like, completely sold, but we're looking at his era completely differently if they just happen to get a ping-pong ball to bounce the right way or or even have not bad luck. Like, I th- I feel like there was a year or two where they just got passed over. Yeah,
1: but, in I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff there as well. Like, they took Ole Uolevi ahead of Matthew Kachuk. Um they took uh, Jake Vertanen over uh, William elander and Nikolai Ehlers. They—that's uh... the
0: bad one. I, the, the Kachuk. What I'm here's where I'm at. If you're drafting, if you're tearing it down, and you're going through the painful process, or or, or even not if you're tearing it down. If you're just bad, mm-hmm. it's hard, and you don't want to be bad very long. And so, if I'm drafting in the top five, it has to be Alex Ovechkin for me to take a winger, right? Yeah. As good as Matthew Kachuk is, and. It, like I I'm always trying to take the defenseman or the center because that, that that's the only time you're going to get a crack at the, the high end defensemen or centers. So, and I'm again, not like, and it's hard to, I think young defensemen are especially hard to project, but I, I don't mind not to, like I, I would be harder on a team that took a winger who failed like a nail Yakupov, let's say mm-hmm. like that to me is, is a huge mistake because Not only did you take a – your pick didn't work out. It was a guy in a wing. Like, my God.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. But, like, just like we were talking about with the Senators, one of the worst things that could have happened was the Canucks made the playoffs sort of surprisingly in Jim Benning's first year. And I feel like that sort of kind of convinced them that they were ahead of schedule and that they could rebuild this thing on the fly. And then, you know, they trade for Ben and Sutter. And it's all this stuff, the Louis Erickson contract, and they sort of kind of talk themselves into – um, this being much quicker than it, it ultimately will wind up being, and that's a tough thing for them to uh, to come to terms with. And I don't know. I just I ultimately would like for this team to have accumulated more assets during this time. I guess is all. And yeah, that's fair. They haven't, and that's the most disappointing part. But
0: Let me I ask, can I ask you something along along the GM lines? Mm-hmm. Tyler Dello tweeted out something, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that a part of a part of the job of the gm is is you know is kind of the public face of the team and on some level it's public relations or or media you know what i'm saying like right. it's it's so if your entire fan base is angry about bringing a guy back is there something to be said for look we have to, like we're, we are an entertainment thing uh, entity that's trying to appeal to a fan base if you're on the fence on a guy isn't the isn't the better move than to make the change
1: yeah i definitely feel like uh people in Vancouver road have been pretty excited if uh if they went a different route um whether it was this summer or, or right now immediately and i don't know like let's get into a bit of a trade line discussion here because the canucks do have i mean it's sort of a sad state of affairs and really telling about who's available uh in the next couple of weeks but Eric Goodbranson and Thomas, Vaca- Thomas Vanek are presumably two of the more appealing assets uh, in terms <laughs> of pure rentals that'll be available and they could recoup a couple of nice assets there and get some draft picks or prospects. Um, yet there's chatter and some of this might just be leverage and sort of posturing, but yeah. there's chatter that they're exploring just bringing both guys back and signing them as opposed to trading them, which I think would be completely indefensible, obviously. So, I don't know there
0: has to be some sort of leverage, because I see that happens, and you're like you're not gonna sign Thomas Vanek.
1: Right yeah, now. but I think the good Branson one would be much more concerning, especially with the uh I forget who reported this or who said this, but it was they viewed it as you know somewhere in the ballpark of four years and four and a half million per or something like that, and that wow, that would be. That would be a tough pill to swallow. They, that, I mean, my thoughts on Eric Branson as a player are, are, are well known by now. And I would uh, if you could get any sort of picks back for him, I think you have to do it. But that's one of those things where, you know, when they traded for him, they you know—they were talking him up and they gave up a couple of really intriguing assets, including Jared McCann, who was a, a first-round pick by Jim Benning. And now it's sort of one of those things where they might sort of just want to save face a little bit because they don't want to admit that they went horribly wrong with that good Branson trade.
0: Yeah. My friend Frank Provenzano has a saying that that the first mistake is always the easiest one to kind of recoup. Mm -hmm. So like where people get into trouble is when they compound the mistake. Yeah. So if you can if you can if you can fix your things as close to the first mistake as possible, it's you're better off and the faster you can admit it the better off you are it's when you make mistakes three four and five extend the guy after trading for a bad contract you know what i mean yep. that's when you start digging a hole and and again that's where the value of a an, a new regime or a fresh voice comes in where they're like that's not my mistake the good brands deal mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. they can just they can be very calculated and cool. like, like that's where i think the value of of a fresh set of eyes pays off
1: yeah I agree with that okay well so we have what two weeks now uh, a bit less till the trade deadline and you know just looking at the landscape um, our friend uh, Pierre Lebrun did a a nice little preview at at Athletic where he sort of lumped teams into uh, whether they were buyers or sellers and by my account he had only seven or eight teams as actual true sellers at this deadline which sort of speaks to um, a bit of the issue here where it just seems like there isn't enough to go around. So I don't know, maybe that'll lead to um, some pretty exorbitant prices being paid because teams get desperate, but it could also just lead to a pretty underwhelming deadline where right. there's there's a lot of chatter, but nothing actually really actually comes together.
0: I, I hope not, but like it is like I, I did a, a list of rentals early, earlier this week for the athletic and I, initially i'm like hey i'll do a top 20 or a top 25 i think i got to 13 and i had to stop yeah when you got when like, you got the mad call in you were like all right i'm like i think we're done here yeah. and it, like the, the the list of available rentals and so actually today when i'm done with this i'm doing a non-rental list and i think that is way more intriguing because because then you're talking about you know eric carlson and ryan mcdonough and like that that to me is is where this trade deadline is potentially fascinating that's why you know the Rangers waving the white flag may be the most significant thing that that happened at this deadline, because it was a very underwhelming group of players, and that like that's still a pretty decent team. It's not like they're horrible, and and so they, like they're the 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 great hope to save this trade deadline because there's some really interesting names in New York.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and you know every year around this time we hear about how teams are looking to. Uh to add center depth and add puck moving defenseman and those are two things that are sorely lacking in the rental market which is why we're going to hear Mike Green's name way more often than we should and he'll probably go for a pretty nice price so it's going to work out for the Red Wings but it's beyond him there's there isn't very much to choose from um, which is why those guys and Ekman Larson's another name there that are under contract and will go for big prices are going to generate a lot of the attention and would be appealing to teams that are they're trading for them because you'd get presumably two uh, runs at the Stanley Cup with them, which is obviously much more appealing than just the one.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's always the debate this time of year, right? Like the yeah, you get more for him, but if you're the selling team, like how many teams are in a McDonough right now? Let's you know, say Tampa, maybe Boston. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're really limiting your market. Whereas this summer, cap goes up. You know the teams that are tucking money away for John Tavares, which there are some, are going to know one way or the other if they need if that money has been freed up. So now, if you're the Rangers, you've you've really, I think you've opened up your options. So that's why you know that's why I'm always hesitant to say these deals are going to get done before the deadline, even even with the lure of an extra playoff.
1: Yeah. So who are the who are the most interesting teams for you to watch uh, in these next uh, ten days or so?
0: Well, I mean, Tampa is the one that everyone is is assuming is going to make some sort of big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just depends on what it looks like. I mean, there's, you know, they're connected to McDonough, and that makes a lot of sense. There's also, uh, you know, Steve Eisenman, he spends a lot of time in Detroit anyways, but he's been in every, you know, the last few Red Wings games I've been at and with a couple other Tampa scouts, obviously probably looking at Mike Green. And there's even speculation that that, deal could expand out a little bit um they probably would like to add a top six forward in tampa so the red wings have in tr- interesting non-rentals and guys like nyquist and tatar that might you know if you retain some salary those guys look really appealing mm-hmm. um so in terms of buyers yeah i think i think boston's an interesting one because um they're you know before this year you probably weren't like okay that's a team that's going to win the stanley cup and now they've, they've had to recalibrate themselves mm-hmm. and i was like maybe that's a team next year that would be the one to make a push but at this point if you're boston why not make a push and i, I think the mentality with the bruins right now and kind of having conversations is that they're not going to do um like they have some good young players that are playing well mm-hmm. and they're not going to bring in a veteran just to push that guy down or whatever but if they can make a if they can make the best move of the trade deadline like there, there may be more of a willingness to do that like the big move it, that that's the obvious upgrade, or or they'll fall back and do like we're just going to add some depth in case our guys contributing now go down. So I think I'm fascinated by what what Boston will do. And and Don Sweeney is I mean he's shown he'll wheel and deal. Like I, I love GMs that you know you, you look at their mo and and you you know they'll they'll make trades. And the other one to me in terms of buyer is Jimmy Rutherford in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, who, you know when you talk to people you get the sense like he's frustrated he hasn't already made a deal yet. Like he is. He is raring to go. The one thing with them is Riley Shane has been pretty good for them lately. You know, there's there's a lot of speculation. They're in on every center. You know, uh, Latestu, uh, Colin. Um, and so I think they have to figure out, you know, how badly they need a number three center. So, uh, but I, I would expect Jim Rutherford again. This is a we're talking about windows, and and this is a a team that that trying to win now the one i the one team i had heard and this is why i talked to to bob murray in a great q a for the athletic if you haven't read it check it out he uh i'd heard the ducks were really aggressive and to expect a big move basically because it's like how many more years of gets and perry and kessler do they have Mm -hmm. so you might as well and there's a lot of wingers available and that's probably what they need to add but man if you read the, the conversation I had with Bob Murray, he didn't sound like a guy too. eat. Like he was just basically ran his team down out of frustration. So did you talk to him before or after they lost to the Red Wings in regulation? This was, I talked to him the afternoon of that game. So mm-hmm. he was most frustrated. They they lost to the sharks who were on the second game of back to back. Right. And he's just like, we haven't played a team game and every big game we play awful. And like, he's just like, man in in the past, you have a vibe around your team. And it was, it was interesting to hear him say this. He's like, there's just, yeah, you have a feeling around a team and that you can tell if a group is kind of special or not. And those are the ones that you don't mind giving up a first round pick. And he's like, I do not feel that at all. Like there's, this isn't a team that's playing as a team and there's, he doesn't have that vibe. And it's, it's, it's like, we all look at it very analytically and you wonder how often these, and i'm and i'm not discounting it i think there's some value there where you just can cont- you have a vibe about a team that's focused or digging in and trying to do something special
1: yeah i actually do agree with that but i think people will be surprised but i i definitely think there's a you got to read the room a little bit uh th- th- those yeah. teams that are sort of at that crossroads are obviously the most interesting because depending on which way they go they could really swing the pendulum for this trade deadline and You know, one of the one of the most fascinating things for me is the New York Islanders, and I know you and I have talked about them quite a bit here, especially the uh, the John Tavares uh, looming free agency, and we've gotten into that. And I don't really want to talk about uh, what's going to happen with with him. I'm just more so curious about this team because I don't know if you saw this, but their fans on Twitter started this uh, this GoFundMe to uh, to raise money to put up billboards, raising awareness about how uh, Garth Snow needs to be replaced. And, yeah uh, okay
0: that's a problem again it goes back to the fan like your fan base is unhappy here
1: you know what i mean correct like there's unhappy and then there's raising six thousand dollars le- <laughs> in less than 24 hours um that's it's yeah pretty, they're not yeah it's pretty hectic and honestly like I, you don't ever i want to word this carefully because we're talking about human beings here and you don't want to you don't really talk about recklessly about people losing their jobs but i think with Gar Snow, there's like one thing to be said about being patient and calculated and biding your time, but man, with the current situation there, um, with Tavares's free agency, with some of the contracts they have, with the cap space, with the assets in terms of draft picks that they've accumulated, like there's a and the obvious need for um, goal prevention in any capacity, whether that's with a goalie <laughs> or with defensemen. Like I think that. You know, they're in this race, they obviously have the guys up front, and their offense is terrifying. And I think if they could make a few, a couple moves, even if they were smaller ones, I don't think anyone would really want to play them in a playoff series. But they're just, they're just standing pat, and they seem comfortable doing so. And I think that that's a—I would be—if I was an Islanders fan, I think you'd be justified in being angry because it seems like a wasted opportunity with every day that passes.
0: For sure. Like, uh, did you read the Q and A that Arthur Arthur Stable mm-hmm. did with them in yep. the Athletic? And it was like, he there was no acknowledgement that this year is is a little bit different than five years ago or two last. You know what I mean? Like, your franchise player is making a decision about whether or not he's going to stay here. The, the The kind of player that you get once every ten years, and you're and you're like, well, oh, if if uh, you know, maybe we'll even sell. And it, it like, there's no acknowledgement that. Man, this there has to be some urgency here to do something good, and and you can't take the ten year view constantly. You know, sometimes you you ramp it up a little bit. And man, if like you want to give the guy to the benefit of the doubt, and that maybe he knows something we don't know about Tavares or whatever. But if Tavares walks, and they don't get a, a thing for him, yeah, and that's just that. And they didn't they made no moves to try to improve this team before the trade deadline. I don't know how you can justify bringing him back as a general manager.
1: Yeah, and we're not even acknowledging the you know the situation with the building and the move to there, and it's like there's just so much going on, and it seems like a perfect opportunity to, I don't know, excite your fans. This is a franchise that hasn't had much going on uh, over the past however many years, and they're just like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever, we'll see what happens, and I, it's very I... lazy fair.
0: Right now, I'm willing to give him. The, I'm willing to say he's he's just saying things because he doesn't. He's trying not to drive up the prices. There's, right. Garth Snow has nothing to gain by saying we're going to be super aggressive. We have to make a move to appease John Tavares, or we're we're. This is a huge deadline for us. Like, I get that. So if if he's just you know slow playing this because he doesn't want to drive up prices, I. I, I respect that and I understand that thought process. So I'm I'm withholding judgment. But if two weeks from now the deadline passes and they don't do a thing, man, that's that's indefensible to me.
1: Yeah. Okay. I got I got four other teams here on my uh, on my list of interesting teams to keep an eye out for. Obviously the Rangers. I mean we've discussed them. Um, it's interesting that they're selling despite technically being in this race. And I think Lundquist being there and as good as he is and with his age um really complicates things especially in terms of like the other day I was watching them play the Winnipeg Jets and they were getting outplayed pretty thoroughly as that game went on but Lankos was so good that he just stole two points for them and I don't unless they are going to rebuild this thing on the fly although it seems like they actually are interested in doing a proper rebuild where they get younger and sell off a bunch of pieces. it's going to be tough to do so with him being as good as he is. Like He's going to win them just enough points, not to really bottom out, but not be good enough around him to actually make a run at this thing, especially if they're selling guys off. So I'm kind of curious to see whether they do really commit to it and trade McDonough especially because it does seem like Grabner and, and Rick Nash are going to be gone. But if if McDonough goes, um, that could be really fascinating.
0: Yeah, I, I mean you have to assume that he'd be part of the – if you're doing it properly, what are you keeping Ryan McDonough around for? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 30 years old when that contract expires. The thing about him that's really fascinating is, on some he's he's almost like their version of Keith Yandel where where he's already valuable at 4.7 as cap hit, but if he's 2. Point whatever the half of seven is, yeah, three five, mm-hmm. that's holy cow for Ryan McDonough under three million like that. His his price tag goes way up like that's such a that's such a valuable thing to have Um, You're talking about two years left So two playoff runs a guy under three million that can play in your top pair like yeah I, Aside from Eric Carlson. I don't I I don't know who else would have more value than that.
1: Yeah, that's true And he's also a guy who uh, hasn't been necessarily in the most ideal situations over his career in in New York in terms of who he's been playing with and he's still done really well, so Yeah, he'd be a a very intriguing target. Two other teams here that I have are the Oilers and the Habs. And the reason why I bring them up, I mean, the Oilers have Pat Maroon and and Mark Letestu to sell off, and the Canadians have, I guess, Thomas Blacanich. But it's not necessarily the the sexiest names, but more so both those teams have a bunch of cap space. And I think that they kept that cap space heading into this year because they thought their season would turn out much differently and they'd be able to take on money to help them win. Um, and that obviously won't be the case now, but maybe you can get creative and use that to help facilitate some trades where you're taking on, uh, some bad money in the short term Hmm. and getting some intriguing assets for basically being part of that deal. Like we don't think of those two teams as the types that would do so. We usually think of the coyotes of the world, uh, you know, taking on salary to get to the floor and getting back picks or prospects in return, but I don't know if those two teams... Like, cap space is a valuable asset, especially this time of year. I mean, we were just talking about the Penguins uh, eyeing a guy like Derek Broussard, for example. I don't know, the Oilers or Habs, if they got involved in a three-team deal of sorts, could help make that a much uh, easier reality by just taking on a bunch of money and helping make the financials work. So, I don't know, stuff like that is... In terms of uh, you're just talking about how you trade rumors and and thinking about this stuff, uh, that that stuff really excites me. Thinking about creative three team deals that would uh, that would make something like that happen.
0: Yeah, it's. I feel like the teams that would need to move salary. The problem, I guess, on some level, I feel like a lot of them the salary is goes beyond this year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like on those on those sellers. So like, if you're trying to move Carl Haglund or something, and you're the Penguins or whatever it would be. I feel like a lot of those guys. The Oilers have to be careful and I guess Montreal that you're not putting yourself in a bad spot for next year too. Right. Yeah, that's true. So, those, but I'm with you. Like that's that's a good thought. Like not, you know, cap space is every much an asset is a draft pick or a player and teams have to treat it like that.
1: Mhm. Um the Chicago Blackhawks. Um i bring them up not because they have assets for a trade at this time of year, but Things are really going off the rails right now in Chicago, and uh, I don't know, I guess I just wanted to talk about them a little bit because I'm curious to see how this thing turns out and whether we're going to see some sort of resolution or big move made uh, now, or it it seems like probably more of a summer thing, right?
0: Yeah, but like, what kind of resolution, are you talking roster-wise or are you talking between the GM and the coach? Both.
1: Um, Especially, I guess, most interesting would be GM and coach, because it does seem like there's quite a bit of friction there, and it doesn't seem like it's a long-term solution. I think both those guys would be uh, hot commodities if they became available. So, I don't know, I'm fascinated to see how that power structure works out. Because, yeah, in terms of on-ice personnel, like we know about the bad contracts, and it just seems like they're going to have a very
0: tough time moving them, so I don't really see what the solution is there, so... It's funny because it, I mean you, we talk about the bad contracts in Chicago, and for the most part, throughout the tenure of the Blackhawks' kind of successful play, Stanley Cup contention, we praise Stan Bowman and how he handled the contracts. Mm-hmm. Like he was constantly running good, contributing players out of town for financial reasons, and and still, even so, like it's not like he's sitting with Andrew Shaw at whatever his number is. You know, he made. He made tough decisions constantly every offseason. And really, like, the bad contracts, it's one guy. To me, it's Brent Seabrook. Like, that, he made one mistake. Like, who, like, what other, you can't be mad about Kane and Taves at 10. I'm sorry. Like, you just can't be. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to do? Not sign those two guys three years ago or whatever it was? Like, so I'm not mad at those contracts. I thought Corey Crawford was a bad contract when he initially signed it. And uh, that that that's not that's not a problematic contract. It's true. It's one contract. It's Brent Seabrook. Yeah, finding a way to uh,
1: whether well, if you package out with picks, I guess, but that would help them a lot if they got that off the books. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch because it's it it's such a massive fall from grace. I mean, this has been coming for a few years now, and every year in the preseason over the past three seasons or so, I've been like. Man, I think this could be it. I think this could be the year the Blackhawks missed the playoffs. And then I've been kind of gun shy about doing so because there is so much talent there. But now you watch them and I mean it's it's almost a certainty that they're gonna miss out this year, and it's just it is such a sort of weird weird visual and all the stuff that's going on and you know, they're getting booed and, and their fans are freaking out and I'm just fascinated
0: to see uh what comes of it. Yeah. It it will be interesting. They the one thing um Again, giving Stan Bowman credit, like you, you you didn't like or you don't like, and and nor should you the depth, long term deals. So like if you pull up the Chicago Blackhawks cap friendly page, mm-hmm. they're top heavy. Like yeah. it's it's Kane, Taves, Saad, and Isimov. and then a 1000000 million twenty year olds, all making less than a million. So I don't. So that to me is an easier problem on some level to get out of if you're the. It, you just have to upgrade those lower level contracts, True. and if you're going to be bad for a couple of years, maybe you're maybe you're going through something like the the Bruins did, where they just took a, a smaller step back, they accumulated some first round picks. All of a sudden, you've got Charlie McAvoy showing up and Brandon Carlo or whoever it is, and or Pasternak, and now boom, you're back in business with the same guys Bergeron and Marchand and Chara that got you there initially. Like I, I could envision that for the Blackhawks. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't have to go the way of like, let's say Detroit, it, it, for, for that reason that they don't have a, a bunch of second tier guys on long term contracts.
1: I mean, Craig, they've they've been paying their depth guys. Look at Brent Seabrook's deal. Come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's an Olympic defenseman.
1: I mean, I will say, West. well, I mean, like a, a Vinon would look really nice on this team right now, and they sort of they had to give him up. To get rid of a depth contract, they gave the Brad yeah, pickle, pickle. for example. Yeah, so, that's,
0: that's yeah. good. No, like, look, it hasn't been perfect, but yeah, every every single every team has them, yeah. and you know, like, it's one of the reasons Vegas is so good because they just they had a clean slate to work with, so they they're, they're not set like there's no drag in terms of the production out of their the money they're spending, and and you know, name the best GM in the league, like let's say you think it's Steve Yzerman. Steve Eiserman has signed some bad contracts in mm-hmm. his day. Yeah, a few of them, yeah. and then had to get out of get out from under him. And he's been deft in maneuvering that. Like I think the work he did at the trade deadline last year, and then with the Drew deal, was was great in setting up this year. But look, look, like that's this is a guy that we think may be the best, and and you know they all have him. So you know it's 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 minimizing him, and I think and I think you minimize him by not spending or not committing to players who aren't your core guys.
1: Well, let's save the discussion for another day. But I think that uh, you know the Bowman versus Quenville conversation is a really interesting one because I, I I do like the job Bowman's done, and I think that he wouldn't he wouldn't be out of a job for a long a long time if if the Blackhawks did decide to go that way. But I don't know if you have to pick one. I feel like I would still pick Quenville. Like I I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're biased because of uh of of the book he did, but I mean he was one of the <laughs> the guys that came off the best in that and I just think that, you know, he never really gets talked about it, uh, with the Babcocks of the world as the best coach in the league, but he's right up there for me. I think he might legitimately be number one if I had to pick the best coach in the league. So I don't know. If if one of those guys has to go, I'm very curious to see how that plays out.
0: I am too, because I'm if I'm in charge, I'm telling these guys, figure it out. Make this work. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because you said, if either guy is cut loose, they're employed the next day if they want to be. Yep. I think, and this is an aside for again, we're well over an hour here, but there's there's still four or five GMs on the last year of their contracts around the league, and like maybe less now that Benning is done. But there's going to be a lot of there's going to be some interesting moves made and some shifting and some musical chairs going on. And so, if you're Chicago. Man, like those guys, those are Joel Kleinwell's a Hall of Fame coach. Are you like how are you upgrading
1: there? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's uh that'd be a tough tough look for them. All right, let's uh let's get out of here. Um, okay, plug some stuff. What are you uh what are you doing these days?
0: Um, just I mean all in on the trade deadline at the Athletic. Download the app if you're a baseball fan too. We just hired like six million baseball writers in time for spring training. So. Um, If you're not subscribing to the Athletic, just check it out. It's it's every day. It gets to be a better deal I would also plug um, The full 60 it's my podcast. It's a really it's an innovative idea. I talked to somebody for an hour I I don't know if anyone else is doing that Dimitri
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> i like how you uh you
1: parlayed uh having your face appear on the pdo cast mile rushmore to starting up your own show and stealing my guests and
0: uh <laughs> and, and your um and your logo designer yeah
1: and you, you're becoming one of my, <laughs> my 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 rivals um and you're coming on my show to rub it in um all of That's it is not grinding true. my true um
0: no it's it, it, they're I, they're complimentary podcasts they're brother sister true. podcasts because i'm trying not to repeat guests I, I, mine, my attempt here is to get hockey fans to know people that they're familiar with in the game or interesting people a little bit better, how they got the job they got. Um, they're, if you just go back and listen to the full 60, the kind of the archives, they're, I try to make them timeless. So you can, you can binge listen to them if you want. Um, and that, like, that to me is, is whereas Dimitri has these interesting discussions about what's happening now, which I love. Mm-hmm. So, I would I would plug that.
1: That was a nice little backhanded jab. I try not to re- repeat guests like some other shows. I know of. It's...
0: That was not a backhanded
1: here, here are my two plugs Craig. One, go I recommend people go watch uh women's hockey the Olympics. Um last night's game between the US and Canada was awesome. Awesome, and I highly recommend checking out more of that. And I recommend uh going on iTunes and leaving a positive review for the Hockey cast and if you can also take a subtle dig at the full sixty while you're at it. I would, uh, I would appreciate that. We're as supposed
0: well. to be uh, complimentary, not arch rivals, Dimitri. Uh, I
1: need, I, I need, I need a rival now. That Merrick versus has gone, and you know I can't take on thirty-one thoughts. Elliot Friedman's going to destroy me. So uh,
0: we're all like you know, fighting for second place. It's true. It's true. All right. um yeah, you Give five stars to Dimitri because this is, uh, this is, a, and and I can like. I can say this as someone who has a podcast um, that's completely different than this one. Uh, It it really helps those reviews and people, I don't know if people realize how much it does that and subscribing because that's, what's going to push it up the charts. So if you like Dimitri, and he's not this is, you know, a free thing he's doing on his own time to entertain you. If you appreciate that on any level, take the two seconds to subscribe and review it because he benefits greatly for that.
1: That was a beautiful testimonial. I appreciate it, Craig. Thanks for taking the time to chat. And we'll uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on sometime down the stretch around right here.
0: All right. Thanks. Me, Cheers. The Hockey Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.